0: Justin Ford for From the Frontline. Tonight we are dealing with setting the captives free. In the studio with me is Dr. Peter Hammond, the founder of Frontline Fellowship, who has been involved in serving persecuted Christians for over 40 years in 38 countries. Dr. Hammond, you are inspired and motivated by the legacy of the great Christian reformers. Can you briefly tell us about William Wilberforce in particular?
1: Yes, William Wilberforce was an extraordinary member of parliament. He was God's politician He was the man who mobilized the British people to oppose the slave trade and not only to end the slave trade, but ultimately to set all captives free within any area that the British had control. In fact, even motivate the Royal Navy to spend the 19th century as its primary mission to clear the ocean seas, even the high seas of even foreign vessels involved in the slave trade. And uh, uh, through his incredible work, Uh, in the British Parliament, when he entered Parliament, there was only about two evangelical members of Parliament in the whole of the uh, uh, British House of Commons. By the time he died, there were a hundred Bible-believing, born-again, evangelical members of Parliament in the British House of Commons and House of Lords combined, and they were having a major impact. When he started, missions in the Far Eastern possessions of the British East India Company was illegal, and William Carey had to do his work from a Danish settlement, Serampore, because his work was completely illegal in India um, for the first 20 years of his work. So William Wilberforce was also the founder of the Royal uh, Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, or RSBCA, and of the British and Foreign Bible Society, and a host of other great works, but he's most famous for having brought an end to the slave trade in the beginning of the 19th century.
0: Would, would would it be safe to say that um, slavery is a dark relic of the past?
1: Well, that would be nice, but unfortunately, no. Uh, slavery today is a reality. In fact, it might be a shock to hear it, but of course the world's population has increased too. But there are more slaves today than there was back in the world when William Carey fought to end the slave trade. There are over 45 million Slaves in the world today, according to the latest statistics from the uh, Global uh, Slavery Index and from the anti-slavery societies. 45 million slaves in the world today, and that's taking the most uh, conservative figure of of what a slave is.
0: When we talk about slaves and slavery today, are we talking about the increasingly prevalent and exploitative employment situation known as the the gig economy, where companies replace their full-time employees with independent contractors and freelancers? Or are we talking about something... Even more sinister. Oh,
1: yes. No, we're talking about something far more sinister. We're talking about where uh, people can get literally kidnapped or uh, tricked and transported and trapped and used in in a horrific way. Human trafficking, which is just another modern word for slavery, human trafficking today, which, by the way, uh, affects a lot of people uh, from Ukraine. In fact, Ukraine and neighboring Moldova have some of the largest numbers of trafficked uh, victims going into the uh, modern slavery, of the uh, sex trade, trafficking or uh, prostitution uh, trafficking, where uh, even many Ukrainians, Russians and Moldovians have ended up in Cape Town, <laughs> South Africa, um, as uh, victims of, of this exploitative industry. And so what happens is they're often uh, tricked, seduced or deceived, um, false job offers. You know, you can be involved in the entertainment industry, uh, uh, in... Uh, restaurants and model um, uh, actress and things like this and they are tricked and then they transport to another city or cross borders to other countries and and the key reasons here you think why other countries well to control the people they like to take the victim to a place where they can't speak the local language so they can't exactly call for help or anything like that because nobody understands their language and so uh, they take that's why they're taking Ukrainians in particular, especially girls who don't know English or German or, or French or other languages that could be useful. And they take them to an area where they don't speak the language. And uh, then they take away their passports. They take away their identity documents. They let them know that they're illegally and they're effectively vulnerable. And now they've got to obey and they're abused. And it's, it's horrific. It involves, in many cases, them getting addicted to drugs um, uh, so that they can control the people. And so right now, today, there's there's a lot of slavery going on in the world today. Uh, 80% of the people being trafficked are, are girls and, and women. And it may uh, shock and surprise one to know that most of the trafficked victims today are girls between 5 and 15 years of age. 5 and 15 years of age, that's most. If you're talking about how many, we're talking about... Something in the region of 1.2 million children are trafficked each year. That's according to UNICEF. And half of um, uh, those, more than half of those, are actually children. So it's uh, a horrific uh, industry. And we're talking about a multi billion dollar industry, hundreds of billions of dollars a year industry. It's the third largest criminal um, enterprise in the world
0: today, just behind drug trafficking and arms smuggling. But surely, Dr. Hammond, in the 21st century, slavery is banned worldwide?
1: Well, one would like to think so. But the fact is that the United Nations, which is neither united nor nations, are just a bunch of gangsters with flags. I mean, let's face it, that the vast majority of governments represent the United Nations today are not elected with any kind of credibility by the uh, uh, citizens or electorate that they purport to represent. Most of them are actually unelected dictators, mass murderers, human traffickers, drug dealers. In fact, you could say the United Nations is the largest collection of unelected mass murderers and drug traffickers and human traffickers in the world today. Literally gangsters with flags. So uh, take, for example, Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia had slavery legal till 1968. So, uh, So in my lifetime... Saudi Arabia banned uh, slavery. But (laughs) a few years later, after banning slavery, Malcolm X, who's an American convert to Islam, witnessed slaves, black slaves, being sold on auction blocks in Mecca on a Hajj. And so, plainly, (laughs) they might have banned it, but there still is slavery in Sudan. Mauritania, if you just think of uh, when Obama made his 2013 african safari the most expensive american presidential visit ever to over 100 million dollars and uh, he flew all over the place and one place he went was he went to senegal where he did a highly um advertised posed much pictured uh, pose in front of the door of no return at the old slave port which was a portuguese slave port at senegal where um many of the slaves were trafficked across the atlantic to mostly south and central america But nevertheless, he he posed there and he spoke about this as a testimony to what happens if we're not vigilant and so on and so forth. And he condemned the slave trade, which ended 200 years ago, mind you, without uh, thanking the people who ended it, such as William Wilberforce and evangelical Christians in in Britain. But he said nothing about the slavery going on within sight of where he was standing on Gory Island. Slavery is still continuing in Mauritania. In fact, one out of every six people in Mauritania are slaves. And many uh Mauritanians traveled to Senegal, to the very area where he was, with their slaves uh, today. I mean, we, we're talking about current... And he said nothing about the slave trade going on in Mauritania today, which is well documented. I mean, there's books written about, even written by African-Americans. And then when he went to Tanzania, also in his 2013 African safari, he didn't visit another island, Zanzibar, which is a far bigger slave terminus than Gori Island ever was. So he made a big thing about visiting the island off the west coast of Africa, but not the island off the east coast of Africa, Zanzibar, which processed over 22,000 slaves a year. So it's massively larger slave trafficking than than was done at Gori Island. And the reason why? Well, the slave traffickers at uh, Zanzibar were not Portuguese, they were Arabs um, and uh, Muslims. And so... In fact, if he had gone to Zanzibar Island, that would have been awfully embarrassing because over where the slave market used to be, there's now a church, um, Christ Cathedral, um, an Anglican cathedral built over where the slave market used to be. And the altar is right over where the auction block used to be. And on the altars, a wooden cross, which comes from wood from the tree under which the heart of David Livingston is buried. And this church was built in memory of, of the campaign of David Livingston to bring an end to the slave trade. And of course, what's even more embarrassing is that uh, the shortest war in history, in fact, it's a, it was in the Guinness Book of Records as the shortest war in history, was inspired by David Livingston. When David Livingston died, the British people were grief-stricken over the fact that they had actually abandoned their great hero and had done nothing to help his last a great missionary journey. In fact, not one person had seen him off at the docks And uh, it was an American journalist, Henry Morton Stanley, who actually uh, rescued him uh, when he was completely destitute and brought him resupplies and got his testimonies out. And so when Livingston died and the word was out about it, the only thing the British could do to honour his memory was to close the slave market in Zanzibar, which Livingston had called for many times. And now Henry Morton Stanley, the journalist, was pushing for it. So the Royal Navy turned up, gave an ultimatum uh, when it was not met, they shelled the palace and within less than 40 minutes, the white flag came up. Shortest war in history, Guinea's Book of Records. The slave market was closed and the British built a church over where the uh, auction block used to be. So you can imagine that uh, Barack Hussein Obama, who was obviously anti-Christian, did not want to go to an island that reminded you of who the slave traders were, the Muslim Arabs, and who the liberators were, in this case the, the British, the Royal Navy, and uh, uh, intriguing, that uh, tale of two islands um, <laughs> uh, in in Africa. But yes, that just reminds you that it is continuing today. Why would he not have wanted to condemn the slavery going on today? Because it's been carried on by his very friends, the Red Chinese, Muslim Arabs, Saudi Arabia. And so, uh, yes, slavery is a reality today without a shadow of a doubt.
0: Thank you. There are a lot of interesting points in that answer, which I think we'll come back to. Um, first of all, Can you just, um, you've mentioned that women and um, girls are uh, prominent as victims in this modern-day slavery. Uh, So uh, would would that suggest that there's a sexual aspect to this?
1: Mostly, yes. It would seem that um, what we think of in the West as human trafficking is overwhelmingly sex trafficking. But uh, if you look at Asia as a whole most of the slaves in the world today are actually for for hard physical labor. And uh, we're talking about well over 36 million of the slaves in the world today are in Asia and are in either communist China or in uh, Muslim Middle East. And they are used mostly, mostly for slave labor. So, for example, um, and this brings up the matter of hypocrisy, you know that many people in the West are condemning uh, those who were involved in the slave trade Over 200 years ago, which has ended for more than two centuries. But they themselves are participating in and supporting slavery today. Examples. You've got, for example, um, Jesse uh, Jackson, who was condemning the the whites of today. All whites today are guilty because some whites over 200 years ago were involved in slavery. Uh, But he was happy to travel as a friend and be a guest of Omar al-Bashir, the dictator of Sudan, who's involved in a vicious slave trade of today, which I've documented in films like Sudan, Hidden Holocaust, Terrorism, Persecution, and in my book, Faith and Defiant: Sudan, Slavery, Terrorism, Islam, Historic Roots and Contemporary Threat. We've documented slavery is going on today in Sudan. In fact, Baroness Caroline Cox of the British House of Lords has traveled to Sudan, and I've cooperated with her on some of these uh, travels we've met in Sudan even, and she's bought slaves in Sudan, with the goal of them free, of course, and she's brought uh, American and British journalists out to Sudan, flown them and said, here's the money, go and buy those slaves there, to prove to them, and it was filmed, documented, there's slavery going on today in Sudan, under Omar al-Bashir. And Jesse Jackson, who's a race baiter par excellence, will rant and rave about uh, the imaginary guilt of people who, well, they're probably not even related to someone who might have been a slave trader over... Uh, what, 10 generations ago. But uh, but in fact, only some whites were involved in the slave trade and many were involved in fighting the slave trade. Millions, in fact. And uh, But he's happy to be a guest of one of the biggest slave traders in the world at that time, which is Omar al-Bashir, the dictator of Sudan, who was waging genocidal warfare against his people. And this isn't just my opinion. Uh, Omar al-Bashir, after nearly 30 years in power, was overthrown by his own people and is on trial for things like Genocide, mass murder, corruption, slavery, and so on, and is wanted by the Hague International Court of Justice for these very crimes. So this isn't just some accusation being made against them. This, this is well documented. So, uh, but quite a sudden, think of other hypocrisy. How many people buy goods made in China? Red China, I mean. Not free China. We're not talking about Taiwan, free China, but but communist China. Do you know that a vast amount of the goods produced by red China are produced by slave labor in concentration camps and criminal labor camps where the people are effectively not not even fed well or treated well, let alone paid? So consider Walmart, one of the biggest uh, chain stores in America. Most of their goods come from China. At Disney World, it seems like all their toys are made in China. And... Uh, Consider McDonald's, where all the toys are made in China. So, how many people happily support McDonald's, Walmart, and Disney, which is making use of of slave labor? They'll condemn the slavery that ended over two centuries ago, but they'll participate in supporting the slavery that takes place today. Now, just take, for example, a man like William Wilberforce or William Carey. Their opposition to slavery in their lifetime in the eighteenth century was so intense they boycotted sugar because sugar was made mostly with slave labor in the Caribbean. And so they would boycott sugar rather than in any way subsidize or compromise with slavery. But how many of our friends today who speak against slavery are happy to buy goods made in red China and not see the contradiction in hypocrisy?
0: Can you clarify some of the terminology that's uh, involved in this uh, subject and in industry? Is what we call a trafficker the same as what would have been called a slave trader in David Livingston's day? And, uh, I'm sorry. And does the trafficker, the term trafficker also encompass, you know, in terms specifically in the sexual aspect of modern day human traffic, pimps and madams? And are they, or would they be the new slave drivers?
1: Yeah, I think that's more accurate, say slave drivers, because you must distinguish between a slave trader is one who traffics in and sells. So you could think. Uh, first of all, there would be the slave raiders. So just think of the old system. You might have had the Yao people uh, in um, what today is Malawi, raiding into Zambia and Malawi and, and enslaving the Chechewa and the Bemba people and taking them to the coast and at the coast they'd sell them to the Muslim Arab slave traders. So you might have had the slave raiders uh, who in Nigeria were often Nigerian tribes raiding neighboring tribes and selling them to the Arabs or Portuguese at the coast for the West African slave trade. So you would have a slave trader, a slave raider, and then you'd have the slave trader, and then you've got the slave master or slave driver. And so we should distinguish between they're those who actually traffic the victims, who trick, transport, and trap them, but then you get the slave driver, so to speak, who use them, and they would be the pimps, the brothel madams, and so on. Um, but of course, bear in mind that while... Sex trafficking is a significant minority of slavery today. It isn't the majority. The majority of slaves today are for still slave labor, hard labor, unpleasant labor or dangerous labor even, uh, where they obviously don't care about um, workers' compensation or the safety in, in the work environment. So, for example, you get uh, even people who disabled, who are uh, crippled and handicapped, who are forced all day to do hard work in the... Uh, the heat and, they've, you know, whether it's crocking, cracking rocks or digging or whatever's got to be done in these mines and uh, they're using children, they're using uh, old people, they're using people who are disabled, they're using crippled people who don't even have legs, are uh, forced to do a whole lot of labor. And, and uh, so uh, unfortunately, when you think of slavery today, um, you can't think of just the Hollywood idea of roots where they've got this idea of some slave plantation in America and, uh, in fact, those conditions are so much better than what so many slaves are getting today in Red China or in Saudi Arabia and so on. And again, uh, I think many people need to bear in mind, this may be a great surprise, but if you think of the old slave trade, and this is a key thing that I emphasize in the Slavery, Terrorism, Islam book, The Historical roots and Contemporary Threats. We, when we talk about slavery in the past, most people think of black slaves going across the Atlantic to North America. But that's only 4% of the slave trade that crossed the Atlantic. Most of the slaves that went across the Atlantic went to Central and South America, to Portuguese uh, and French and, um, and to Spanish uh, plantations. And so vastly more slaves went to Cuba or to Brazil than ever went to North America. Only 4.4% of all the traffic trafficked across the, North, uh, the Atlantic went to North America, to either uh, the, the United States or, or Canada. And, um, uh, and of course, most of those survived because they were allowed to marry and they lived fairly normal lives uh, except that they were their labor was was owned but but they themselves were were free to reproduce and have, have children and children so on. and And of course we've got many of their relatives today. But this is ignoring the far greater slave trade, which was across the Sahara desert or across East Africa or up the East coast of Africa. The Muslim slave trade into the Mo- Muslim Middle East was, vastly greater. In fact, as our document, we're talking about the difference between about 11 million slaves crossed the Atlantic to the Americas, of which only 4% went to North America, the rest went to South and Central America. But we're talking about 140 million people, more than 10 times worse, uh, went in the Muslim Middle East. But the difference is the males were castrated, the females were not allowed to reproduce and babies were routinely had their throats slit or were drowned at birth to prevent uh, the slaves of becoming numerical majority. It was perceived by the Arabs in the Middle East that it was cheaper to get new slaves than to let the slaves waste the time raising next generation. And so uh, the brutality of the Middle East slave trade was vastly worse. In fact, the slaves crossing the Sahara, the death rate could be so great that it was calculated that while... Up to ten percent of those crossing the Atlantic might die in transit. Between five and ten percent died in transit. Those crossing the Sahara, eighty to ninety percent could die, and only ten percent might survive getting across. And up East African coast, it was it was pretty bad as well. Sometimes uh, you could have eighty percent dying on on the route. So uh, the, the African slave trade was more brutal because there would be far more. Um, all-encompassing, just wiping out those who were considered too old or too young or not strong enough. Or, or um, they they strong males they might resist, so we, we're going to kill them now. And uh, the slavery in the Middle East was for soldiers. In fact, the Muslim Middle East, especially the Ottoman Empire, had huge slave armies made up entirely of slaves. Um, and, uh, of course, the brutality in the slave armies was great. They had massive harems to the extent that you could have a sultan having Seven, eight thousand, twelve thousand uh, women in their harems, and ridiculous numbers like that. So, there was a colossal appetite for sex slavery in the, in the Muslim Middle East, whereas most of the slaves who crossed over into the uh, Americas were there for agricultural work. So, you've got a very different uh, type of slavery, but again, people are uh, normally knowing nothing at all about the Saharan, trans Saharan slave trade the East African slave trade and the Indian Ocean slave trade, which was vastly more. But people have also forgotten the white slave trade. There was 1.1 million white European Christians were kidnapped just between the years 1500 and 1800 across the Mediterranean. And that's, in fact, one reason why Europe got involved in taking North Africa was to stop the incessant Barbary pirate slave raids on uh, Southern Europe throughout the Mediterranean. In fact, some slaves went... Uh, Slave raiders went as far as Ireland, Iceland, Great Britain, and you still see towers around those coasts for watching out for the Barbary Pirates. In fact, the first foreign military activity of the United States uh, was Marines being sent to the shores of Tripoli because of the amount of Barbary Pirates who had kidnapped American sailors. And the first two American administrations, Washington and... and, uh, John Adams' administrations spent most of their budget, sometimes 80% of the federal government budget, on paying bribes uh, to and protection record money to Muslim slave traders to leave American sailors alone because America hadn't built up a strong enough navy. And only by the time of Thomas Jefferson did America have a strong enough navy, and now the Marines were trained, that they could launch a war against the Barbary pirates and end the targeting of the American sailors on the high seas and, and burn the, the slave... Uh, um, raiders' uh, palaces in Tripoli. So, and that's still in the marine songs, you know, to the shores of Tripoli. And most people may have forgotten where that came from. So, when you think of slavery, bear in mind the etymology of the word slave comes from the word Slav. The Slavs were the East Europeans. We're talking about the Russians, for example, they, they Slavs, and the Bulgarians are Slavs, and the Serbians are Slavs. The Romans treated the East Europeans, the Slavs, as their slaves, and hence the very term slave is test with the fact that most slaves in the Roman Empire were white people. And they came from Eastern Europe. And many actually came from Britain. And in fact, St. Patrick, who is an icon amongst Irishmen, he was enslaved by the Irish. Uh, here's a, an English boy enslaved by the Irish, and he later came back as an evangelist and a missionary to the very people who had enslaved him, uh, which is extraordinary. You know, when many people think, uh, you know, as, as Irish as Patrick, well, Patrick wasn't Irish, but he did convert the Irish to, to Christianity. So I don't think there's a proper understanding of slavery. And when people realize how much slavery has devastated Europe in the past and still is, In fact, you could say virtually every palace, harbour, fortification, the whole of North Africa was built by white slaves, enslaved from Europe, in many cases Christians, brought over by Muslim slave traders. And that changes the whole equilibrium. So even when you think of who were the most brutal Europeans involved in slavery, the Spanish and the Portuguese, where did they learn from? Well, they were for 800 years under the Arabic Moors. So the Moors, who named Moors after Morocco, The Moors had conquered Spain and Portugal, Iberian Peninsula, and enslaved the people for eight centuries. And so when the Reconquista was complete and and, uh, Spain and Portugal were freed from Islamic Caliphate, uh, the Caliphate of Cordoba, they started to do what they'd been taught. Now it was their turn to enslave the Africans who'd been enslaving them, which of course is not Christian, not right, and in no way am I justifying it, but the Spanish and the Portuguese learned the slave raids and slave trades from the very Muslims from North Africa. So, when you get the context, the whole picture looks somewhat different.
0: Is it true that the North African Islamic aggression initiated the uh, age of exploration?
1: Mm, Not really, except indirectly. So, what you could say is that because they had seized the Middle East, what used to be the birthplace and the heartland of Christianity, therefore the trade routes across the Middle East to Asia were blocked and no longer could the Marco Polos and so on of Europe be travelling overland to visit uh, China and Japan and so on. But now they'd have to f- find sea routes to go around. So in one sense, while the, the, the Arabs weren't the ones who initiated the the age of exploration, they did um, provoke or make it necessary uh, by their incessant piracy attacks, uh, The a huge amounts of taxes uh, placed on anyone trying to travel across the territories, and uh, yes, uh, so you could say that uh, Christopher Columbus, was sailing the ocean blue in 1492, was inspired by the desire to bypass the Islamic blockage uh, to be able to reach the markets
0: in the East. Okay, back to modern slavery. You've mentioned um, Russia, Ukraine, Moldova. Uh, we've you've mentioned uh, the horrendous uh, labour. Slave labor in um, Red China, but now is how how does this impact on South Africa? Are South Africans being enslaved?
1: Actually, yes. So uh, what what happens is that we had this ridiculous situation when we were heading to World Cup soccer, and some some of you may may recall that we we actually had. The National Police Commissioner and Head of Interpol, Jackie Selebi, back in 2007, recommended to Parliament that prostitution be legalized in time for the 2010 Soccer World Cup, hosted in South African. ANC members of Parliament were recommending prostitution be legalized for 2010. I mean, if you thought soccer was all about uh, football, um, you're obviously you're mistaken. It's apparently about red light districts. The Durban municipality announced they wanted to create a red light district for the sex industry. And, well, interesting how the head of Interpol, National Police Commission of South Africa, Jackie Sleby, was an, uh, ultimately removed from office because of his extensive corrupt links with organized crime syndicates. So, Doctors for Life, our good friends, put together a major paper exposing that human trafficking and prostitution is inextricably linked. And they quoted the American State Department, at that time, that 800,000 people were being trafficked internationally. Now, It's now up to 1.2 million, according to UNICEF. Uh, But um, uh, they said this excluded the trafficking within countries. 80% of the victims trafficked internationally were women and girls, half of which were children. And the majority of female victims trafficked for the purpose of sexual exploitation. And if you legalize prostitution, you would have very uh, great difficulty in dealing with human trafficking because human trafficking and prostitution are two sides of the same coin in many cases. And uh, in fact, we've seen this in Cape Town. You might recall that uh, under Mbeki, uh, vice squads were abolished. The South African Police Service no longer had vice squads. In fact, they abolished all special task forces except the illegal diamond buying, which lets you know what really important um, because remember every diamond in the country whether it's on your farm or whether you found it at the bottom of the Orange River or off the coast it all belongs to De Beers uh, because uh, every uncut diamond there's theirs uh, uh, by law and so the illicit diamond buying or IDB is the one special task force still in existence but vice squad obviously not important so they didn't see dealing with prostitution and things like this as a problem uh, And but in Cape Town thanks to the Cape Town metro we still have a vice squad in Cape Town So the Cape Town Vice Squad was able to find that there was a huge amount of human trafficking here. In fact, they they showed that the House of Rasputin and Teasers and Mavericks, some um, well-known escort agencies, which are just thin covers for brothels, uh, were involved in human trafficking. And this came into court. And so this isn't my opinion. I'm just quoting from what prosecutors said and what witnesses said in the stands, what was reported in the media, uh, but that they were taking girls from Ukraine and Moldova uh, in particular, um, and bring them to Cape Town because they couldn't speak uh, the local languages and they would be more vulnerable. And there were girls who were actually vulnerable in this. So uh, we know that, that those are foreigners brought here. But according to Doctors for Life, a lot of girls from Eastern Cape, what we think of as Transkai, and Limpopo are also trafficked into the cities also because they can't speak the languages in those cities. So they're, they're trying to get them out of their areas, away from their families where they can uh, be. Uh, and of course, they, they tricked again, tricked and trafficked, and they promised jobs as all kinds of positive things. Uh, you know, you're know, you going to be uh, involved in the entertainment industry, you're going to be an actress, you're going to be a model, you're going to be a secretary, you're going to be a waitress, whatever. But they, they convince them there's a job waiting for them in the town. When they get there, uh, they are raped and drugged and, pushed into this. So there is human trafficking going on here. Now, I've actually uh, encountered some of this. So, for example, um, I was taking teams into uh, downtown Durban to do outreaches outside each of these brothels. And we were outside Galaxy. And uh, I'd actually been entrusted with looking after Erla Stegans' eldest daughter at that stage. And that was quite a responsibility. And uh, uh, she was taking pictures and we were singing and distributing glitcher, And of course, you can imagine there's no customers coming in while you've got Christians outside doing that. And uh, this big Russian pimp came storming there. And I saw he's going straight for Helga. So I I positioned myself in front of her, took her camera out of my hands because I saw he's going to smash that camera and fold my hands. And he just picked me up like I was light and threw me head over heels, right over a parked car into West Street, car, tires screaming and uh, cars swerving to avoid me as I rolled in this extremely busy West Street uh, well that was one of my encounters interestingly enough that same Russian pimp was shot dead by one of his uh, trafficked uh, victim girls with his tocker of pistol that was under his bed he was shot in the head by one of these pimps just a week later after that and uh, these are the kind of battles we had I mean I was downtown Seapoint outside some brothels doing some outreaches and some pimp came with a bucket of beer, wine and vile liquid and dumped it over my head from head to toe so I arrived home and my wife was asking, what is that smell? So I've just been to the brothels and, well, it smells like it. Um, and it did. Um, you know, imagine coming home uh, like that, but uh, had to uh, definitely hose down everything. Um, and uh, that's the fact. Slavery is going on in this country and not just with foreigners. There are local rural girls trafficked into cities who are also abused too, yes. And we've had heads of police and members of parliament trying to legalize all this.
0: Um. We've so we, we've had a hint that there's you know, the the, the, geo, the contemporary geopolitics of, of playing a role in this. Can you can you uh, um, elaborate on on how f- modern slavery fits into the bigger geopolitical picture, um, contemporary economics, uh, the globalist project, um, and what does it tell us about the state of uh, contemporary Christianity, mo- uh, you know, contemporary moral values, and the battle of worldviews?
1: Well, yes. I mean, the fact is, the abolition of slavery was a fruit of Christianity, and those who believe that the days of slavery are over, of course, mistaken. But notice, as Christians have retreated from social and political arenas, and as nations, which were once considered Christian, now move into what they now term the post-Christian era and secularism, what are we seeing? A resurgence of all those evils. And so, it's absolutely vital to recognize that while Christianity uh, is the root and the uh, of of freedom and. Uh, uh, the trouble is what we're seeing is as many nations are moving away from Christianity, we're seeing a resurgence of all these hideous anti-Christian elements, including killing of babies through abortion and uh, infanticide. And um, you can just see uh, that uh, not only killing the aged and infirm through euthanasia, but the legalization of adultery, legalization of polygamy, legalization of perversion and prostitution, and a massive resurgence in slavery. This is all going along with a society that is gender-confused, Uh, Want to say that there's multiple genders and uh, all the rest of it, even while they're trying to move to you having a one-party state where you're not allowed to even have another opinion. So, yes, I think the Great Reset is being made by people who reject Christianity at the heart. And this is part of breaking down social cohesion because, remember, the family is the basic building block of Saudi. And the only solid rock foundation for any society that wants to be free is the Bible, the laws of God, the law of liberty, and uh, Christianity is the only foundation for a free society. And what we are heading into is, is a, um, not just a great reset, but a great regression to paganism. It's, it's a great revolution of our values. It's an anti-Christian revolution. Uh, so, yes, what, what I'm seeing right now is um, even when they break down countries, such as when, when Russia collapsed as, as a global power, the human traffickers moved in and found many of these families had been broken up and many of these girls were without protective families and the whole communist system had eroded. And so the human traffickers had a field day in Eastern Europe and Russia. They could just pick up many people who are desperate economically looking for a job. Oh, you know, We can get you a job in Hollywood. We can get you and people willing to travel. And in some cases, their family members were willing to sell them into the hands of the pimps. Um, and so, uh, getting the people recruited, you can see how this suited them. And South Africa. South Africa used to be a safe place, a safe place for women and girls of all races uh, under the old system. Uh, but now the human traffickers are able to have easy pickings in South Africa because we no longer have a police force that um, is effective in fighting against these crimes. In fact, in many cases have even abolished the vice squads that used to hold them back. And so, yes, you can see this is part of the globalist idea, break down the family, break down the church, break down morals, break down nations, and move everyone around, mess everything up so that you've lost the cohesion. Instead of these these, uh, youngsters finding their protection amongst their family and their church and their community, they are wrenched away, taken to other places, and globalization just plays uh, into the hands of these pimps because this is perfect for them. They get the people to a place where they don't speak the language, they don't have the support base, and they can exploit and abuse them and there's no one around who can help them. And there's often pathetic, useless governments and worthless police forces that are incapable of providing protection or justice for them. Just take in downtown Cape Town. Downtown Cape Town, our biggest police headquarters in in, in Cape Town, is right next to Mavericks, which is a well-known human trafficking group. Massive story building, they... they just facing one another across the street. And um, when I mentioned that to some of these people, they said, well, some of the police are some of our best customers. And some people may think this is a joke from Monty Python, but this is actually true. When Parliament was discussing relocating, and Mandela was seriously considering relocating Parliament up to the Transvaal, uh, up to Midrand. And... Uh, the sex workers in Cape Town did a demonstration march Pont, and I actually saw them protesting. Parliament can't move because they'd lose their best customers. That is not a Monty Python joke. That's The prostitutes were complaining that they must stay in Cape Town because if Parliament moves, uh, they'll lose most of their customers. And, you know, I think that explains our moral dilemma in politics right now, does it not?
0: Yes, indeed. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see another protest like that after the recent... Uh burning of Parliament and the EFF's uh, desire to see Parliament moved up to mm. Gauteng. Um, I, p- I presume we're going to see more of, of this sort of human trafficking, given the pu- the financial pressures being placed on, on people every day? This is the horrific thing. Um, when
1: Germany suffered after the Versailles Treaty, which was one of the worst treaties in history, and uh, you had Two million German soldiers died in the First World War and then they had this colossal debt of billions and billions and billions of marks that they had to pay to pay for all sides of the war. And and what happened was the the German economy collapsed and uh, you had the bankers walked in and took millions of people's homes and farms, in many cases widows. And orphans stole houses and farms from them. Bank accounts were worthless. Billions of mark couldn't buy a loaf of bread. People pushed wheelbarrows of currency. And what happened in Berlin? Eight hundred sexually orientated businesses set up, all run by Jewish bankers and others and their relatives. The first, the world's first sex change operation was done in Berlin uh, by a Jewish doctor to a Jewish transvestite who wanted to have a sex change. And and the patient died on table, by the way. And so this was the context behind where the National Socialists came and said, we're going to clean this up. And, of course, many of the people who fled the country were fleeing because they were about to get prosecuted for running brothels. And in many cases, you had uh, war-wounded soldiers who were getting no help, people who had won the Iron Cross for bravery uh, with an amputated leg and so on, sitting on the sidewalk needing to beg to survive. And this was the environment in which the... Resistance to communism came because they saw the Versailles Treaty had made their money worthless. They'd lost their homes, they'd lost their farms, they'd lost their estates. Widows were forced into prostitution to feed their children, which is what was going on in Berlin. And this is the context that explains the incredible popularity of the National Socialists when they when it brought solutions to this and ended this and uh, gave work and chased out the, the pimps and the uh, Prostitution dens and close down these sexually oriented businesses and cabarets and whatever else that was going on in that place. And so, wherever you break down the economy of a country, you make people desperate, and mothers will often do anything to feed their children. And that's the context that this is why the Ukrainian girls are so vulnerable. They lose their homes, they lose their. uh, uh, And in the end, what do they have to live on? Well, someone's going to offer them money or food in exchange for selling their bodies. And so, uh, yes, I think this is part of the goal of the globalists with the great COVID cult, lockdown, lunacy, masquerade madness, national suicide, economic suicide, and now agricultural suicide. What's the goal? To make people starving so that they're willing to sell their bodies to these perverts, these synagogue of Satan creeps who just want to be able to uh, buy up these goyim gentile filth, uh, as they refer to us. Um, because they see us as um, uh, just their right to trample over and uh, to enslave. So I'm afraid the economic chaos, which is totally unnecessary un- and, and avoidable and deliberate, this is planned, is partly designed to break the family, which is the building block and foundation for civilization.
0: Dr. Hammond, you've you've mentioned uh, a very disturbing, or described a very disturbing scenario where we have vulnerable people, um, an increasing population of vulnerable people, um atomized society and families an inversion of christian values um even a uh, suggestion of agricultural genocide so we a picture is, um uh, being uh, is being um created of, of, us, of a future of global slavery um so now we, we understand the problem and what's facing us but how can we fight this back how can we fight back i believe you have a a, a leaflet um and you're going to be handing them out soon.
1: Yes. So uh, what we've been doing for the last 27 years is every Women's Day, notice how the secular humanist governments in South Africa, the ANC, they abolished all our Christian holidays like Ascension Day, and uh, they didn't want uh, to be reminded of Christian holidays like that, and replaced with Workers' Day, um, Women's Day, Youth Day. Well, we thought, okay, well, we, we can, uh, Human Rights Day. So Human Rights Day, we protest for the rights to life of preborn babies who they want to kill through abortion. Two million babies have been killed through abortion since Mandela legalized abortion in 1997. And uh, on Women's Day, since 1995, we've been mobilizing against pornography and against human trafficking. Because women don't need meaningless, pious platitudes by hypocritical politicians. They need protection and they need respect. So we should legalize, we should ban uh, pornography and we should execute rapist. I mean, simple. That, that would be far more meaningful than some public holiday and some pious platitudes from some hypocritical politician. So, Women's Day, we've been mobilizing large amounts of literature distribution, many different shopping centers, sometimes mobilizing up to 70 or even 100 people at a time uh, in 10 or more locations around the country, distributing leaflets against human trafficking, against pornography, and for real women's rights, distributing leaflets like uh, the Christian Liberation of Women and uh, Stop the Traffic, and uh, Finding Freedom from the Pornography Plague, and and, um, materials like that. So um, you may not be able to be at one of those venues, but if you are in our area, like in Cape Town, you'd like to be involved in some of the outreaches, contact Africa Christian Action, info at christianaction.org.za, or you can go on to the www.christianaction.org.za website. You'll see we've got videos like Stop the Traffic. You'll see we've got uh, presentations, articles um, against pornography and against uh, human slavery and so on. And also, uh, you might want to organize your own outreach in your own area. We can organize literature for you or you can go onto our christianaction.org.za website and download many of these tracts and leaflets and print them in your own area Uh, or share on your social media. If you go onto the Africa Christian Action Facebook page or or Stop the Traffic f- f- Facebook page, you'll also find videos, audios, articles that you can share and make it go viral uh, through your your um, uh, social media context. So those are some of the practical things one could do. But of course, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. This is an information war. It's a battle for the heart and mind. We need to understand the threat. We need to know what we can do. We must stop supporting the um, lamestream, mainstream media, which is basically disinformation media and the defiling, vile, pornographic uh, Hollywood uh, industry, which is a blasphemy industry, we need to support alternative Christian films and alternative media and not the mainstream media and get on the mailing list of groups like Christian Action and Doctors for Life, uh, Stop the Traffic and see what you can do. I'm sure we can all do something in order to stand for life and for faith and for freedom.
0: We pray for a revival of Christian family values. Stand fast therefore in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Galatians 5.1. Thank you very much for joining us for From the line. God bless and good night.